0: That better? There we go. Gosh, it told me it was live, so I, I kept it off for a while. I didn't want to say anything bad about anybody while I was. <laughs> um, so signs and wonders here, um, going through Exodus. So here's kind of our same recap um, of where we've been going, uh, structure and overview. Importance of remembering, which is kind of a theme we've, we've kind of brought up every week. Um, kind of textual background. Uh, tribulations, kind of the need for a savior. And then revealing his name was last week. Um, and we talked a little bit about, you know, where is God this whole time? And kind of turned that into where is Israel? Um, and, you know, while we may perceive God as being silent or absent, that's kind of a human perception, a human perspective. Also, we talked about the, the midwives. Um, were one of the only two uh, in the first early parts of Exodus that, that were given names, um, and they actively feared God and, and what that means as far as, um, you know, standing up for good in the face of evil and, uh, you know, standing up for life, basically. Um, and then finally, God's name, um, I will be what I will be, but then tells them, You know, his name is Yahweh, which kind of means he will be, so it's meant to be spoken from a person, from a relational perspective. Um, So then today we're going to talk a little bit about revealing his power um, in three instances of that, uh, the plagues in Egypt, uh, the Passover, and then crossing the Red Sea. Um, Kind of a verse to, to get our minds here going, Deuteronomy 7, 18 and 19, Remember what Yahweh thy God did unto Pharaoh and unto all Egypt, the great temptations which thine eyes saw, and the wonders and the mighty hand and the stretched out arm, whereby Yahweh thy God brought thee out, so shall Yahweh thy God do unto all the people of who thou art afraid. Uh, so this is kind of where we're going to live today. Um, someone want to read uh, Exodus 4, 1 through fifteen twenty one. Just, just kidding. We're not, we're not going to read this, this whole thing. Nobody volunteered that quickly. It's weird. Um, So we got to four one last week. We a little bit. We talked about Moses initially doubting uh, Israel, but God presses on, and so Moses does go to Pharaoh the first time um, after some resistance. And what happens the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh? What is what's Pharaoh's response? Anyone remember? We're in chapter 5 here. No straw for the bricks, right? He kind of turns up the heat on the Israelites and makes things a lot worse for them. Um, can someone, this one I will actually have someone read, chapter 5, uh, 22 through six, one.
1: Ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to his people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, "Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land."
0: Thanks. So, what's uh, what's God' response here? Uh, Six, verse one. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. So God's kind of done uh, messing around here uh, as we head into uh, into the introducing the plagues. Will someone read uh, six, verse six, as well? So this is actually the first time we see the word redeem in the Bible, so kind of a hint at the the broader theme um, that we're dealing with here. Uh, So we get to the plagues. Um, Before I throw those up there, I know this is a story that that we're all uh, generally, or most of us, pretty familiar with. What comes to your mind when you think of the plagues? What's, you know, anything like themes, or what stands out to you, or anyone have anything that that they want to share that just jumps out? yeah yeah I think Jeff mentioned it last week, kind of leading into this. yeah, they're directly set up apart from, and like Vanna said, there's probably many more more gods uh, than, than these 10 uh, that we hone in on, but yeah, they're it's set up specifically against the Egyptian worldview of having all these gods that have you know I guess dominion over over certain parts of of the earth. So uh, have a table here. I, this, there's a lot going on, a lot to try to cram in here, but um, we'll try to walk through this. Um, so I included the uh, staffs turning into snakes here. kind of like plague zero, right? Because it kind of sets up um, a lot of this narrative. Uh, so we go through here, uh, you know, of course, all that we're uh, relatively familiar with. Uh, you know, this row here, do they get a warning? And I, the pattern is, uh, you know, two warnings, and then one just happens, right? The gnats or the lice, however you translate that. Um, flies, livestock, okay, then the boils happen. Uh, hail, locusts, darkness, uh, and then, of course, the firstborn. Uh, similarly, every third one, uh, Moses is to go to Pharaoh in the morning. Um, this is kind of interesting, the the agent of the plague, you know, whose who's action, of course, is all God's actions that are causing it, but the first several, we have Aaron, you know, tell Aaron to stretch out his staff or tell Aaron, you know... Um, to do something, and then a plague happens. Then we have God uh, in the middle here, uh, and then it shifts to Moses, and then finally, of course, um, the tenth plague kind of set apart. Um, we have God again. Uh, in the Psalms, we have references to uh, seven of the first nine, uh, and then, of course, the tenth here. But this is kind of interesting, and you'll, we'll talk about it here in a minute, this little gap here where you don't talk about either the Egyptian priest or Pharaoh listening or the Psalms don't talk about them. You know, in in some of the early telling, it just means, like, this got grouped in here, this got grouped in here. Like, they just were referred to and grouped with some of these other events. I don't think it means that, you know, Pharaoh all of a sudden was listening or, or, you know, making any any commentary on Pharaoh's action here, Uh, just to say that they were, uh, in some earlier tradition, grouped together. Um, And then we have... I think this is interesting, the priests here. Um, these were the Egyptian priests. Uh, the word they had for them was hartumim. And does anybody remember where we would have run into these, uh, these guys before in the Bible? In the book of Genesis? To do with Joseph interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, right? So these these were the same type of guys that uh, were kind of, you know, skunked, couldn't figure it out, didn't know what to do. Uh, Joseph comes in, uh, interprets Pharaoh's dreams, uh, and we go on from there. So I kind of had the thought, I wonder if there was like, a, you know, a handbook for these priests or something that had been passed down where they were like maybe would have known, like, hey, watch out for these, you know, Hebrew guys when they get involved, um, you know. They might have, have something going for them. Uh, but anyways, uh, I think it's interesting. The first uh, instance here, uh, the, the staffs turning into snakes, what happens? Are they able to, to duplicate what Moses and Aaron do? Yes. They are, yeah, but then what happens? Um, the the back, so <laughs> yeah, so then, of course, their, their snake is, is consumed. What about with the water into blood? Were they able to turn water into blood? They were uh, so. I think it's kind of interesting. You, you think about the Nile, all the water turned into blood. Where'd they get their water? Well, it says uh, all the Egyptians dug around the the Nile to try to find water. Um, but I think it's interesting. They, of course, they didn't turn the water back into water, right? They they just made more blood, which is kind of funny. It's uh, by them trying to show their power. They're really just doing more of what God's already done. Uh, same thing with the frogs, right? Were they able to make the frogs disappear? No, they just made more frogs. So it's kind of funny. Uh, You know, I I thought, well, you're trying to show the power of your God. um, And really, they're just, you know, uh, emphasizing uh, what God's already done. Um, And then we get to uh, the lice or gnats. Can someone read chapter 8, verse 19? So this is maybe our first clue. These guys might be at least somewhat wise, right? At least wiser than, than Pharaoh at this point. They're, they're kind of picking up on, on what's going on here. Um, and then chapter 9, verse 11. Can someone read that? So at this point, you know, these guys are, are now going to be out of the story. They basically can't even show up to the, to the duel or however you want to phrase this thing. Um, because, you know, they're, they've got this, this affliction just like all the other Egyptians. Let's jump down here. Um, Pharaoh's heart. So in each instance, we, we talk about Pharaoh's heart. But there kind of is this progression here. Um, first, it says, became hard. Um, And it doesn't, in some of these, it doesn't really specify uh, who did the hardening or some versions say uh, became tough. Um, So became hard, became hard. Uh, Then we have Pharaoh. He hardened, um, became or was hard. He hardened, became hard. And then after the, uh, or along with the sixth plague here, boils, then you have this total change uh, in frame here. Uh, God hardened, Yahweh hardened. Yahweh hardened uh, after the hail, it actually says at the end of chapter nine, uh Pharaoh and his officials harden their heart, and then at the beginning of chapter ten, God says, For I harden their heart, uh same thing, Yahweh hardened, Yahweh harden, Yahweh hardened. So what do you guys think's happening here? Does this progression mean anything? Should we read into this at all
2: Boston. yeah.
1: Sure. Cindy? I know what's
2: considered, and he considered himself, God. And, uh you know, he was really getting so much like the great spirit people that were
0: just, you know, getting angry, especially when they think that they're not. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the start of chapter 7, God actually says... To Moses, I will make you a god to Pharaoh, and Aaron will be your prophet, which is, a, is kind of an interesting idea. But uh, like Carrie said, um, God even kind of foreshadows this, right? I think it's chapter 4 or 5, says, I will make Pharaoh's heart hard. But at the same time, how many chances does Pharaoh get here? So he's, he has plenty of opportunity to, um, to kind of figure this out. Um, and there's maybe a point where it seems like he does can someone read chapter 9 or in chapter 9 verse 27 no. right, and and so it's kind of funny we're, we're at plague 7 and he says this time I have sinned like oh where you been you know uh, it's taken you this long to figure it out. And the whole time, uh, like Kerry said, his free will um, was a factor here, right? He he hardened his own heart. Um, so I think, uh, I'm glad it looks a little better up here because you can hardly read it up there. Um, you know, I think it is kind of a, a, uh, the message, like Kerry said, God has a plan and God knows what's going to happen. But, but we also have a role to play in it and if you want to turn away from god for long enough, you know, god'll use that. That's it's kind of a warning there. Um and i was listening to some some commentary on this and and someone asked a question. Well, like ooh, should i be worried? Like how do i what if how do i know am i worried about if i get to the point where, you know, i'm after the fifth plague and i'm Pharaoh and i've hardened my heart too much? Well, i think if you're worried about it, you're probably not at that point, right? Um, And the other thing is, too, uh, God hardens hearts. I would say that God softens hearts, too. Um, So I think that's uh, an interesting uh, takeaway from here. Um, So let's go back to Pharaoh listening, because this is something that definitely echoes uh, through this whole narrative. Um, And the the phrase that they they use in, in Hebrew is lo shema, he did not listen. So if you're reading this uh, out of the Torah, you would hear this lo shema, lo shema, lo shema, lo shema, like echoing throughout this uh, this whole thing. Um, let's look at chapter 6, uh, 6 through 12, if someone would read that. Thanks. So does Moses's, well, first of all, it's interesting. We have the, the Israelites not listening either here, right? But the, the difference is, I guess they have, they're given a reason, right? Their discouragement and harsh labor, which is kind of the point of what Pharaoh was trying to do is just, you know, break them, oppress them, um, put this um, excessive burden on them. Uh, but then do you think Moses's, the last verse here, chapter or verse 12, um, do you think that sounds kind of odd. Uh, What does Pharaoh listening have anything to do with the Israelites listening or vice versa? Seems like the Israelites would have a vested interest, right, in in listening to this, and Pharaoh would have a vested interest in not listening to it, right? Um, So I think it's kind of funny that he says, if the Israelites, you know, why would not Pharaoh, like they're sharing some kind of same idea here. Um, It just was seemed kind of puzzling to me. Um, in the, uh, the Jewish uh, history, there's an uh, a, uh, explanation for this. It says, Here Moses links the deafness of both Pharaoh and the Israelites with his own, uh, and then some verses in the, the actual Hebrew is uncircumcised or foreskinned lips, um, because they would not listen. Therefore, I am of uncircumcised lips. Uh, speech, we normally affirm, creates listeners or fails to create them. Here the converse truth seems to be affirmed. It's the listener who creates the act of speech. The prophet prophesies by dint of the listening of his people. As long as there is no one to listen to God's word, language impotently stutters. Uh, In this vein, uh, they read Psalm uh, 50, verse 7, Listen, my people, uh, that I may speak. Or your listening enables me to speak. Um, So we kind of ran into... A, a little bit of a similar idea last week. We talked about, um, can one be redeemed if they don't know they need to be redeemed? And kind of this whole idea of, well, one, yes, of course, God's the one who redeems, right? And we, we talked about, um, while we were yet sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, so God is the one who redeems us, but, but we also play a part, right? I thought of an example of, you know, you want to buy me uh, a new car. Right? You can do that. Whatever I do, it doesn't matter. Like, buy me a new car. But if I don't think I need a car, I'm going to keep walking around everywhere, right? Um, or, you know, Angela, to stretch the analogy further, Angela last week made the point of it seemed like the Israelites were without hope, even. So it's almost like they didn't even believe cars existed at this point, right? To, to, to keep the analogy going. Um, so, you know, we do have to realize uh, we need it here. Uh, similar to while we were yet sinners, if we fast forward to the New Testament, you know of course, repent and be baptized right um, Repent implies uh, turning away from something. so if you really bought me a car if it 's just sitting somewhere and i 'm not using it you you bought a car, but it wasn 't necessarily for me, and I think that 's the point of of what 's going on here. All this God is doing is is for us right um, uh, so back to this, can God speak if we don 't listen? Sure, right my uh, My little bible app verse of the day was psalm twenty four one uh, The earth is the lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it right he doesn't he doesn 't need anything for us uh, from us, but I think the point of it is he wants you know he 's kind of got this funny thing of wanting a relationship with humans right and wanting to reconcile with us and in his book you know he didn 't write it to practice his handwriting right he write it, he wrote it so uh, we could have a relationship and, and ultimately a reconciliation with him. Um, so kind of continuing down down this line here, Exodus 15 26. He said if you listen carefully to the Lord and the majority of the time you see Lord like in all caps uh, in your Bible like this, uh, that's Yahweh. Like that's what it's what's standing in for. I, I'd hesitate to say every time that it gets translated that way, but that's the vast majority is, is that what you're looking at. Is If you listen carefully to Yahweh, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Uh, so does anyone know the central prayer in the Jewish prayer book or the first kind of prayer that, that a child might learn? Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God. Yahweh is one. So it's that same word here, listen, Shema. So that's what this prayer is called, right? Uh, the Shema. Um, I think this is a, a, a pretty cool you know, thought here of, of playing this off against uh, Pharaoh's not listening, right? Lo, Shema, he did not listen. Shema, hear, O Israel, hear or Listen. And actually, this, this word shema in Hebrew kind of has a multifaceted uh, meaning here, you know, going into depth this way. So first, you can just hear, like, just sound waves coming into your brain, right? Um, but then the next step would be pay attention, right? Oh, something's up. You know, you guys are all thinking about trying to talk to your kids, right? Did you hear what I said? Well, yeah, they heard, they heard it all. Did they do anything about it? No. Um, clean up your room or whatever it is. So that's, that's the next step is is doing something about it, right? Act. Um, and, and really most of the time this word is used, it implies like if you didn't act, you didn't really shema, right? If there was no uh, anything that went along with just you hearing words. And then the ultimate expression uh, we see with God is is obey, right? So it's someone who is wiser than us, knows more than us, gives commands to us, and then we obey them. And in the New Testament, where do we see this? Uh, James one twenty two: Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. Um, all right, so let's see what else it says. Uh, Psalm 111, uh, verse 4. He hath made his wonderful works to be remembered. Uh, Yahweh is gracious and full of compassion. So we have this, this little interlude here um, as we, we get into chapter 12, uh, between the ninth and 10th plagues. Uh, why, why did God include this? Why didn't he just, you know, uh, not kill the Israelites and kill all the Egyptian firstborns, right? Why do you guys think? We're in the middle of all this revelation of, of God's power, right? And it, it would have been pretty powerful to just wipe out however many Egyptians he wanted. Um, but remember verse 6-6, that's not really the point of it, right? It's not, the point's not God to show off, right? It's God to redeem his people. So then he puts this little um, uh, instruction in here for, uh, for kind of how to make that happen, um, right? How does Yahweh redeem his people? Those who are under the blood of the Lamb... Will be saved, and we'll we'll dig into this a little bit. But does someone want to read um, uh, chapter twelve, verses one through seventeen? Twelve one through
1: seventeen. Yes.
0: Thanks, Harry. <clears throat> so a commentary uh read here, I thought had an interesting, you know, paragraph I'll read here. Between the ninth and tenth plagues, Yahweh intervenes for the first time in a way that relates to the institution of an eternal order rather than serving merely to advance the plot. So like we said, we're not talking about just another instance of, of power here. This is something totally different. Uh here, long before all the statutes that will place the entire life uh of the community ...on an atemporal footing are revealed. and An initial structuring framework is established in the dimension of time. The month of departure is set as the first month of the year... ...while the night of departure is fixed on the 14th of that month. Because the months in the Israelite calendar begin with the new moon day, the 14th... ...hence the night of departure is a full moon... ...nothing less is at stake here uh, than the introduction of a new calendar. From now on, the year will no longer start in fall when plants are revived from months of summer heat by the first cooling rains. Uh, instead, seemingly unrelated to natural rhythms, it will begin in the month when Israel drew out of Egypt. So then we have this, uh, that Carrie last read, verse 17, celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. And then we have this, uh, this emphasis on basically remembering, right, what we've been talking about, passing this down to, to generation. Uh, on that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. Impress them on your children. Be careful not to forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Uh, that one comes right after the Shema in, in Deuteronomy here. Uh, and then we have uh, Exodus thirteen nine and 16. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that this law of the Lord is to be on your lips, for the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. So you really have this emphasis on passing this down, remembering this. Um, you know, really it's kind of supposed to be as if uh, you're sitting down to this Passover dinner. It's as if you're the one leaving Egypt, right? This this whole institution. So what kind of grew out of this was this um, these instructions for the Seder dinner or the dinner you're to have. Um, and... And I don't want to dwell too much on a lot of this because, um, you know, Carrie just read it all. Um, a lot of this was, was instituted as ways to help uh, remember, ways to help teach children, uh, probably more specifically. So you have, you know, this is the beginning of the, uh, the dinner. You have your first cup of wine. You have blessings. You have these six commemorative items um, kind of as reminders of, of various themes uh, through this whole story. Uh, then they break the bread, um, which this is starting to sound a little more familiar uh, to people, I'm sure. Um, this bread they break. Uh, and this was, a, again, like all of this, was a tradition that came uh, after uh, leaving Egypt, right? Um, so I'll, I'll read a little bit about this. Uh, the afikamen the is a piece of matzah, unleavened bread, that's broken before the Passover meal. So that's what they're doing here. Um, Part of it is wrapped in a cloth and hidden. At the end of the meal, it's brought back, distributed to the participants, and eaten as the final morsel. Uh, In today's Jewish celebration, the second or middle of three pieces of unleavened bread is taken from a special bag called the matzah tosh. The bread is removed, broken, and a portion that is wrapped in cloth becomes the afikamen that's hidden from view. After dinner, it turns into a fun game for the children who search for the afikimen and are rewarded uh, when they find it. So... um, This, uh, according to most, you know, commentators, of course, at least that I read, um, already had some kind of messianic uh, meaning associated with it uh, as this tradition uh, evolved, Uh, and of course, um, we see it later uh, uh, in the Last Supper. So then, after you get this, uh, they break the bread. This Ephikamen and says, "This is the bread of suffering that our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt." Uh, And then traditionally, the youngest child is supposed to say, uh, why is this night different from all other nights? Um, Then goes on. And that all other nights we don't dip things even one time, this night two times. And that all other nights we eat leaven and matzah, this night only matzah. And that all other nights we eat various vegetables, this night bitter herbs. And that on all other nights, some eat sitting and others reclining, this night we are all reclining. Um. Commentary says, by emphasizing the conspicuous difference between the Seder and every other night, the Seder begins the festive staging of a change of frame. Difference is a key concept in the Seder ceremony. God is praised for making a difference between this night and all other nights, between the sacred and the profane, between the light and darkness, uh, between the Sabbath and the six other days, and between slavery and freedom, uh, which is the fundamental theme of this story. Um, All these distinctions can be experienced and understood due to an initial distinction by which the striking singularity of the scenery is marked off from the ordinariness of everyday life. So this, this made me think of a night that, that was different from all other nights. Does someone want to t- uh, turn to Matthew chapter 26 and read uh, 17 through 29?
2: Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't really need that." Jesus answered, You have said so. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take eat; this is my body. Then he took it.
0: Thanks. So do you think the, uh, the disciples are thinking, why is this night different, right? Um, you know, whether it was um, specifically on time, or, or John kind of writes it, maybe it was a little earlier than they traditionally would have um, had this, this Passover supper, um, which to me kind of makes some sense because Jesus knew what was about to happen, right? He didn't have uh, that much time. Um, right, so but but either way, the setting uh, of this week, um, this supper uh, that Jesus sat down, these guys are all intimately aware of of the significance here of what's happening. Um, so Jesus takes the bread instead of saying this, this is the bread of suffering that our ancestors ate. Um, what does he stay, say instead? This is my body, right? So you think, I, I wonder if this was the first point when he said this, that they're like, whoa, this is, something's different here. This isn't what we usually say. Um, or if they may, might have known before that. Um, I wonder, because this is obviously an abbreviated version, I wonder if they, if they had lamb there, or did they have the lamb there, Jesus, right? Um, there's a lot of, of significance here that uh, that's going on. And then uh, same thing with the cup. Um, I didn't put it up here, but, you know, their blessing on the cup would be something like, thank you for the creator of the, you know, the the fruit of the vine or something like that. Um, And Jesus, again, uh, alludes to himself, of course. Um, And then how does he end it? Verse 29. Yep, and I will not drink from it again until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So he's looking ahead, right? Uh, Much of this whole meal uh, is looking to the past. And Jesus kind of flips it um, and says, you know, now we're we're going forward here. Um, Let's go to, oh, here we go. So we had our two uh, us-remembering. Uh, verses, This is Psalm 105, 42, 43. Um, For he remembered his holy promise given to his servant Abraham. He brought out his people, uh, capital H there, with rejoicing, his chosen ones with shouts of joy. So God remembers too, right? Um, and I think it'd be unfair to say the, uh, the Israelites were, were not necessarily looking forward. Uh, we'll see here. Let's read uh, in chapter 15. Um, we're, now we're getting into the crossing of the Red Sea. And they kind of have a, uh, two different descriptions of this, I guess. Uh, 15 is more in a uh, uh, the form of poetry, um, so let's read that. It'll be nicer to read. Can someone read 15, 1 through 21?
2: Chariots, or Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right. nation.
0: So kind of the culmination of, of God revealing his power, right, in the Exodus story. Um, but if you, if you notice verse kind of 13 through 18, uh, they were under no misgiving that their story was over, right? Seemed like they were just getting started. Uh, all these references, the Philistines, the Edomites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, uh, that stuff hasn't happened yet, right? So they're, they're kind of looking forward as well, and that's what we'll, we'll kind of start talking about a little bit more uh, next week. Uh, with Seth. So, uh, anyone have any final thoughts? And we'll close in prayer. All right, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this day. We're thankful that we can come here and gather together uh, as family, Lord, and and as your children, and that we can uh, read your word, Lord, and that we can um, seek to understand you better, and that we can uh, learn more about our relationship with you, God. Just thank you so much for uh, for your wisdom thank you so much for your power and and thank you that we can know you and thank we that, thank you that we can know your name and just thank you for uh, writing us into your story Lord' we're, uh, we're, we're thankful that uh, that though we sometimes forget uh, forget the end of the story that you never do Lord and and that you've arranged it for us we're, we're so thankful and in Jesus name we pray amen Thanks everyone.